My wife, Melissa, and I had the privilege of getting away for our anniversary uh, for a weekend this past August. And uh, this year, this was the first time uh, that we've been able to actually get away from all of our kids entirely. And so my kids stayed with uh, my parents uh, for a weekend. Now, uh, my mom and dad, they, they love the, their grandkids tremendously. Um, they're also a little bit older, and so they have sometimes trouble controlling the kids. And so all three of my little ones stayed up uh, way past midnight. And just to give you, for those of you who don't know me well, uh, my kids range, uh, range in age from three, six, and nine. And so uh, they were up till midnight one night. And, uh, and uh, for those of you who do know my family, who do you think the ringleader was? Who do you think wields the most influence amongst the three? Now, I hear some of you making uh, guesses. Uh, I interviewed each of them. And so reports from each of my three young, unreliable eyewitnesses varied slightly, but there was some common threads. And you would think maybe it's the uh, indigo, because he's the oldest, that he would be the leader, and because he's the most extroverted, and likes to t talk and tell people what to do. Or maybe you think it's my youngest, uh, Chili, who uh, you might guess would be the right one because he's the most mischievous. He's also the, most, the chattiest, the one who likes to bark things at people. And if you guessed either of those two, you would be wrong. It's my middle one, uh, my little girl, and, and my advice to you is don't trust the quiet ones because uh, Violet, she loves to order the boys around. Uh, she loves to tell them what to do and try to get them to bend to her will. And I want to propose to you that that's kind I gotta be careful here. That's kind of what leadership looks like. Okay? That's not what I'm trying to tell you to become like. But uh, you may not be a CEO or a project manager at your company. You may not be a pastor, a deacon, or a ministry team leader of some sort. But biblical leadership is not about power or position, but about influence. In other words, what kind of impact do I have on other people around me? And I propose to you that every single one of us has leadership moments, opportunities, situations at school, at home, at work, in public, or in private. And the question is, what do you do with your influence? Are you influencing from your identity in Christ, your wisdom from Christ, and your character of Christ? So that's our starting point this morning as we turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. <laughs> We're in this series called Clear, where we are uh, learning in a world of confusion and conflict to see our lives through the countercultural lens of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Benji, can you pull up the next slide? And so previously, uh, the, the title slide, in chapters 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul writes to the church about, instead of being blinded by the values of the world, how do we see clearly through our identity in Christ? that you and I are loved, we're forgiven, we're accepted through the cross, and as we do so, we receive the wisdom of God through the power and presence of His Spirit to guide us, to grow us in holiness and in unity together, distinct from the destructive wisdom of the world. And then in chapter 3, we saw this practically applied to disunity within the church. They were arguing over who is a better leader, and it turns out that that was a sign of their spiritual immaturity and pride instead of seeing themselves as being on the same team as being on God's team. And so today what we're looking at is this problem of disunity is more than simply a lack of clarity about the gospel or about those who teach the gospel, that the Corinthians, they're not just for Apollos, one of the, the uh, uh, 
Bible teachers, uh, pastors that came to that church, they're not just for Simon Peter, but that they're actually against Paul. And so chapter 4, as he defends his apostolic authority, this is actually going to give us a framework of how do we evaluate and think about spiritual leadership. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So let's stop right there for a moment. What's happening, what he's not saying is, you know, a lot of times uh, we read, especially that last verse, and what it's not saying is that we shouldn't judge spiritual leaders. We shouldn't evaluate spiritual leaders. Instead, in verse 1, he says, this is how you should regard us. This is how we should evaluate spiritual leaders as servants of Christ. Remember that we talked about this. He mentioned this in chapter 3, verse 5. Instead of seeing people as leaders, to see them as servants. That leadership is not who stands in the front of the line, but who stands last as a servant, Jesus says in Mark chapter 9, verse 35. So that first element is our leaders' servants in their attitude and their actions. Secondly, he says that they are stewards of the mystery of the gospel. That means someone who's responsible for teaching the faith in Jesus, his death and his resurrection, that we might experience the life, goodness, and glory of God forever. And that we know that's what he means by mysteries of God because he talked about that in chapter 2, verse 7. Thirdly, verse 2, he says that leaders should be evaluated by their trustworthiness. Not only do they teach about Jesus and the gospel, but are they faithfully living out Jesus and the gospel in their attitudes, in their actions, and integrity. And so Paul gets into personally how he's doing in verse 3 and 4. Okay, it's no big deal if people criticize and disparage me because, A, I'm not, I haven't done anything that disqualifies myself as a servant of Jesus, and B, I know that Jesus is the rightful and ultimate judge over me. Not people, not even myself. I don't even have that right. Only Jesus does. And so he concludes in verse 5, Therefore, don't judge me apart from God's timing, apart from God's judgment. And what he's talking about there is when Jesus returns as the judge over the world, that he will reveal all the hidden actions, all the hidden motives of the heart, how we live for Jesus when no one is looking. If someone is leading because they're a control freak or because uh, they're an attention seeker or because they are doing things out of selfish ambition, only Jesus fully knows and Jesus will fully reveal what happens within someone in a leadership position. And he's talking about these things because in addition to you and I receiving the free gift of salvation by faith, that as we're evaluated in our leadership and what we serve in, we also can receive commendation and reward by what we've built and why we've built that to the glory of Jesus. And we saw that in chapter 3, verses 8 through 15, that there are people who will enter eternal life, yes, by faith, it's a free gift, and yet 
there are rewards that God gives based on our faithfulness that have nothing to do with our salvation, but what we've built in this life to the glory of Jesus. And so the big idea this morning is that spiritual leaders are servants of Christ, accountable to God as stewards of the gospel in both our motives and our personal practice. And so when we evaluate spiritual leaders, there are three key criteria that we saw in the passage this morning. First of all, ask yourself, do they act more like a CEO or a servant? Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 3, God condemns shepherds who are eating the fat, who are clothing themselves with wool, who are slaughtering the choice animals, but not feeding the sheep. CEO or servant. Secondly, are they a good steward of Jesus and the gospel? Thirdly, are they trustworthy in living out the gospel, or do they just talk about it? And I constantly am questioning and evaluating myself based on these three criteria. Now, before we judge other leaders too quickly, deacons, pastors, whatnot, uh, before we judge too quickly, before God's timing and God's judgment, Paul's not just trying to vindicate himself here. He's also turning a mirror on the Corinthians for them to look at themselves. And like them, we need to evaluate our own influence. Am I, as a servant of Christ, making myself first or last as I interact with the body of Christ? Am I a faithful steward telling others about Jesus and his gospel? Am I a trustworthy follower of Jesus, living out Jesus and the gospel? Now, we're talking about this criteria about leadership, but we may feel like, well, yes, this is, this is all well and dandy, but People can appear to serve Jesus, live for Jesus, and, and tell people about the gospel. But what about all those horror stories we hear in the news about spiritual abuse or sexual abuse or financial abuse of spiritual leaders, moral failings of leaders in the church? And so what Paul's going to do here is he's going to reveal the clearest mark of godly leadership that cannot be faked, starting in verse 6. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written in scriptures, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our hands. When, revi when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. So let's stop right there. So we see in verse 6 that Paul... He's not just telling others what to do as leaders. He's holding himself. 
He rigorously holds himself and Apollos to this, accountable to these biblical standards as an example for the Corinthians to not get puffed up with pride by comparing themselves against one another instead of comparing themselves against the Word of God. And so in verse 7, he says, instead, we need to be humble. Remember that all that we have in wisdom and authority, for those of you who are leaders, have, you've received that from God and his servants who discipled you. And if all this stuff that you have as a leader is an unearned gift from God, then grace levels the playing field so that none of us can boast about what we know and what we do in the body of Christ. Then Paul gets a little bit personal and sarcastic here with the leaders in Corinth in verse 8. Instead of the humility of Christ, you think that you already have it all together. Oh, we're so hashtag mature, hashtag blessed by God. We're kings without Paul and Apollos, as if they're already ruling and reigning with Jesus. When Jesus returns in power, in glory, and in judgment, he raises up all of his followers to rule and reign over creation with him. And that's how they're living, as if they have this kind of authority already. And Paul says, I wish that you were, so that maybe you might share some of that little blessing with us, because that is not the reality. In verses 9 through 11, that while the Corinthian leaders see themselves as wise and powerful, living in comfort and in honor, the actual apostles, and if you don't know what an apostle is, those who God has gifted and given authority to establish and govern the church, those men are still facing persecution, death, dishonor. They're hungry. They're homeless. They're toiling for Christ's sake. And so we have a very sobering picture for comfortable leaders of what following Jesus and serving Jesus should look like. Now, I want you to understand, Paul's not complaining about his lot in life here. He's painting for us an upside-down picture of leadership, that worldly leadership chases after prosperity and authority and acclaim. Spiritual leadership is exemplified by the humility of the cross, that there is a God in heaven named Jesus who is worthy of worship, and yet he comes and he's mocked and he's beaten. That Jesus is a king, and yet he came to serve. That Jesus is eternal God, and yet at the cross he came to die, to save the very ones who are killing him. And not just the people back then, that's you and me and everyone today through our sin, nailing him to the, to the cross. And so in verses 12 and 13, he says that Paul and the apostles, they humbly respond to their own suffering. They respond to curses with blessing, to persecution with perseverance, to insults with appeals of mercy and kindness. While they are treated as the scum of the earth, just like their master, Jesus, in John chapter 15, verse 20. And so, do you know how to actually accurately assess spiritual leadership? It's not by leaders' success stories of growing numbers of people at church or the number of ministries they've launched or the amount of money that they've raised for the financial reserves or having amazing stage presence. That godly leadership is measured by Christ-like humility towards others even in the face of Christ-like suffering in this life. You cannot fake that. And that is the measure, the most accurate measure of godly leadership. You see, the Corinthians, they're taking pride in their spiritual status and privilege. Well, we're obviously wonderful spiritual leaders because look at how God has comfortably blessed us with influence, with authority, with applause. And Paul says, it is not yet the time of glory in Christ. 
It is the time of suffering for Christ. Jesus has not returned yet. And so godly leaders respond to hardship and humiliation the same way as Jesus does at the cross. There's a man named Brother Zong who uh, is a Christian in China. And he was at a training for house churches when it was raided uh, by the police. All the leaders, all the Christian leaders arrested. The prison authorities shaved his head, interrogated them, and warned them that uh, these hardened inmates would beat them the moment that they entered into the prison. And so as they stepped into their cell, they were greeted, he was greeted by 16 prisoners, men, kind of thumping their fists in warning towards him. And so as his heartbeat began to increase, getting rapid in his chest, he just shot up a quick prayer to God, just help. <laughs> now, the gang leader in the prison came up to him and asked him, why are you here? And he said, well, it's because I'm a Christian. So you didn't beat people? No. Do you sing? Yes. It seems like such a weird request. And so this gang leader ordered him, I want you to sing for all the men in this room right now. And so he humbly did so, and he wept as he did. And I don't know if it was out of embarrassment or out of fear, but he wept, crying, powerful tears as he sang. Uh, and he didn't know many songs, so he sang a worship song to Jesus. And yet at that moment, the Holy Spirit began to move amongst them in their midst. And by the time he had finished singing this song, every single prisoner in that room was also in tears with him. And he was shocked further as the gang leader asked him, to tell him about the gospel. And in fact, in fact, his cellmates became hungry to hear about the gospel. Every day, they had questions for him. And in fact, by one Sunday, he led a worship service for all the people in this cell, all 16 of them. And a guard came around demanding to know who was behind this, who was doing this, who had fomented this act of disobedience, civil disobedience in the prison. And he threatened to punish every single person if no one spoke up. And so Brother Zong said, hesitantly and fearfully, I stood up and confessed it was me. They forced him to remove all of his clothes. They beat him, and then they made him stand outside, leaning against the wall for hours. And at one point, the gang leader, he couldn't bear it anymore. He said, he asked, can I be punished with him? In fact, the rest of the people in the cell, one by one, all volunteered to do the exact same thing. And so this infuriated guard stormed out, and uh, because of the power of that moment, one of the cellmates that was, had been there for three years became a follower of Jesus that day. So I want you to think about leadership. The prison guard has the position. The gang leader has all the power. But this humble Christian man was the real leader in that cell. You see, you and I, we tend to run away from affliction and towards comfort, and yet God has given you influence with a friend, with a coworker, with your kids, with people who are simply observing you to see if there's anything different, if there's anything different about you from everyone else in the world. And it's not wrong that we enjoy God's blessings because God loves us. He provides for us. But if your life with Jesus is predominantly self-indulgence and ease, living my best life now, hashtag blessed, what is your leadership influence to the world? What message does it send to those who are trapped in poverty, 
or tragedy. That, oh, if you're not blessed and enjoying life and wealthy and comfortable, that God loves you less, maybe? Or maybe that you're cursed by God? What hope does it give to somebody who's not yet a believer about Jesus and, and the gospel? Is that really the message we want to send? So I know you're thinking, like, I love that story about that Christian in China, but that's not us. We live in the United States. We don't suffer persecution like that. We don't have that kind of hardship. And so let's put some skin on it. Let's make it easy for you. Uh, this past, uh, uh, just yesterday, uh, many of you know that my son participated in his first martial arts competition. I'm so proud of him. Uh, for what I did not know, and for those of you who are more experienced parents, uh, you, know, you know this, and you're thinking like, oh, this rookie parent mistake. I did not know that taking kids to a sporting competition was an all-day thing. I thought, we're going to go in, and he's just going to do his thing, have a few rounds, and then I get to go home, right? Because he's my oldest, my nine-year-old. And so uh, I, you can imagine my chagrin, like, after, like, uh, all of his bouts were done, I said, okay, Indy, let's pack up. Are you ready to go? No, Daddy, we have to stay and support all of my teammates. I was like, of course, sure. <laughs> and so we sat through uh, the kids' division, which is my son, the little kids' division, all the little guys, like 60 pounds and below. We sat through all the youth division, all the teenagers' bouts. Then we sat through all the adult division and all the adult bouts. And so six hours later, <laughs> I know some of you are like, that's not much suffering. It's suffering, okay? It's just <laughs> relative to where we live in this country, right? I love my son, but that was, that was a long time. Now, of course, six hours is a long time. And when, when we talk about leadership and influence, the question is, what am I going to do there? Am I going to sit there and have this foul attitude and complain and whine and kind of pout and say like, oh my gosh, why, you know, being a parent really sucks. <laughs> and of course, like, being a leader means like, am I willing to exert influence where I'm at? Not when I'm on stage as a pastor, not when I'm leading a Bible study. And so of course I sit with some of the other parents and we have conversations and inevitably that question comes up like, so what do you do for a living? Oh, you're right. And like, so, you know, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't want to say I was a pastor. So for a split second, I was this close to lying. I almost said, I don't know. Because <laughs> I didn't have a good answer, right? And so I said, a pastor. And of course, like suddenly everything changes. The conversation, suddenly people stop cussing around me. <laughs> and I know you're thinking like, well, I'm not a pastor. So when I go to something like this, that's, just, that's not how I interact with people. But inevitably, something's going to come up. You may talk about your work, and then, of course, you talk about what do you do for a living, what do you do during the week, what are you doing during this weekend? And then someone asks you, like, and you have that moment, a leadership moment, where you could say, well, I go to church to worship Jesus. Or you could say, I don't know. <laughs> and so that being said, taking a brief moment to recognize, am I willing to, that's very mild suffering, to talk about Jesus with other parents, to talk about my life at church, how much Jesus means to me and how much the church means to me, and to have that kind of a conversation. Am I humble enough to receive that moment and humble enough to love this person? And so for you, I wonder, what is the influence that you're sending? What is the message that you're sending? Are we different from anyone else in the world around us? Now, these proud and powerful leaders at Corinth, they're pursuing comfort, projecting victory, but the mark of godly leadership is when there's hardship or humiliation, instead of retreating into comfort, which is what I love to do, that we continue to worship Jesus, serve Jesus, and point to Jesus and his glory. Are you willing to seize those moments? Let's wrap up this passage. Verse 14. I do not write these things to make 
you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some in the Corinthian church are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. So what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Whew, Paul's getting, sounds like he's getting a little bit hot under the collar. But let me explain what's happening here uh, before you assume like, oh, I just, godly leaders like kind of beat up people. Paul says in verses 14 and 15, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm trying to correct you and mature you as my beloved spiritual children in Christ. And I want you to pay attention. There's a word that he uses. You've had a lot of guides or guardians in Christ uh, is the word there. Now, this is referring to specifically in their culture, in the Roman Empire, you would have a servant, a slave, a house servant, whose job is to chaperone your kids all day. They would escort them to school and back. They would tutor them in their homework, and they would carry a rod for discipline. And so he's picturing in your mind this strict taskmaster. Imagine thousands of them with rods, kind of like, like the Gestapo, like following around your kids. That's what he wants you to picture in your mind. So you've had all these guides, all these guardians, all these tutors in Christ who are carrying around the rod of discipline, but you've only had one spiritual father in Christ, Paul, who birthed and nurtured their faith in the gospel. And as a good dad, he not only participates in your birth, but also in your growth. By his words and his life, they serve as an example to his family, just like a good dad should. And so in verse 16, he says, As a trustworthy and faithful father in faith, imitate the example of my life and my leadership and my service in Christ. And that's exactly why I sent young pastor Timothy in verse 17, another one of his spiritual sons in the faith, a living example of Paul's influence in how to live for Jesus, lead for Jesus at every church that Paul has planted, not just in Corinth. Otherwise, and here's the key, you're in danger of becoming the opposite in verse 18. Do you notice that key word that was repeated again and again? That the Corinthian leaders are arrogant. They're good at talking up themselves, talking up their spiritual maturity. They're good at talking smack about Paul because he, they, he says they're t- they think he's too far away to do anything about it. But he warns them in verses 19 and 20 that God willing, when I return, let's pit your empty words of arrogant men against the power of God. You remember what we talked about? What does Paul mean by the power of God? Chapter 1, verse 18 through 24. How the good news about Jesus influences people, saves people, changes people, because the fruit of real spiritual leadership is not just talk about how great of a leader you are, or not just talk about the kingdom of God, but experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit to transform people's lives, we saw in chapter 1. That is the power of God, and that is the fruit of real spiritual leadership. So in verse 21, Paul, Pastor Paul wraps up, as my spiritual kids, would you prefer, do you want me to come with a guardian's rod of discipline. Remember that guardian, that tutor that I was t- telling you about? 
or with the loving and gentle spirit of a good dad, just like our Heavenly Father comes to us. Some of you have this picture in your mind of God being this cosmic, cruel tyrant, that he's the guardian who carries a heavy rod to beat us. When all throughout scriptures, we see this father, yes, he does discipline, but he does so out of love, not out of punishment, out of kindness. And so the the point here this morning is to imitate the example of godly leaders who guide us as loving fathers or loving mothers, because it doesn't just apply to men, also the women who love us by the power of God. You see, the difference between the Corinthian leaders and Paul's leadership is that arrogant authoritarianism controls behavior with the threat of a rod, but loving authority changes lives with the power of God. Do you understand the difference? And we want to be much more like the latter. This well-known pastor came home uh, one afternoon and he found his son in his living room playing video games instead of doing the chores that he's assigned to do, and so he prompted him. Maybe it's time that you started doing your main chore, which is vacuuming the house. And so uh, he heard his son turn on the vacuum for about 45 seconds. <laughs> and then his son kind of hopped down, down in, in back into the room, happily reporting to his dad, all done. You vacuumed the whole house. Uh-huh. Son, Superman couldn't vacuum the whole house in 45 seconds. I did. And so this pastor did what a lo- loving father would do. Instead of scolding his son, instead of beating his son, he takes his son by the hand lovingly and says, let's walk through the house, let's see together. And so they walk all throughout the house, and over in this corner, they found an entire bag of goldfish crackers, but it looked like someone had intentionally dumped them on the floor and danced on them. Did you vacuum this? Well, I didn't see it. (laughs) Okay, but it's on the floor, so you're supposed to vacuum that. I don't know how you missed it. And so they vacuumed that stuff up, and then they walked around the rest of the house and showed him all this other obvious things that he had failed to see. And it reminds me of John chapter 14, verse 23, where Jesus says that we, the Father and I, will make our house with you, because that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He's talking about when he sends the Holy Spirit to us, that the Holy Spirit comes into us, and he takes us around the house of our heart. And he says, hey, look, there's some crushed goldfish on the floor. We better make sure that that's gone because bugs will come in, the bad smell is going to start, bad things are going to start to happen, so let's get that stuff cleaned up. And I'm going to help. And he wants to clean up all the places that we don't even know are dirty in our hearts and our lives. He transforms us, but he does it with loving authority, not the authoritarian rod of, of of a tutor or a guardian. And I don't know if that's hitting you like it hits me, because uh, particularly as a dad, when I'm tired, when I'm stressed, when I, am, I just need something done, and I want it done right, it's easy for me to be arrogant and condescending and threatening with a rod, whether to my children, to my family and friends, metaphorically speaking, a brother or sister in Christ. But godly influence transforms the lives of people around us with the truth of Christ, with the grace of Christ, with the grace of the gospel. And so I'm wondering, what if you and I, what if we shifted gears? I wonder who God is calling you to guide with a gentle spirit of a mother or loving father by speaking the transforming power of God and his grace and his gospel into that situation, into people's lives. Leadership isn't what you think. It's not the power 
to tell other people what to do. But it is the influence, the humility that transforms people through the grace of God. Are you clear about leadership in the body of Christ? It's not just about power or position, but about influence. We all have it, and we need to direct it through our identity in Christ, through the wisdom of Christ, through the character and humility of Christ. May you be a servant of Jesus, faithful in telling others about Jesus and the gospel, and trustworthy in living out Jesus in the gospel. May you be a servant like Jesus, Christ-like in humility, even if you have to face Christ-like suffering. And may you be an example for Jesus, guiding people, loving people as a spiritual father or a spiritual mother by the life-transforming power of God, His gospel, and His grace. That you and I, instead of being known as the best leader on stage, instead behind the scenes when nobody sees us, instead of being seen as the leader who is most busy or most productive or most strategic, may we be known for someone saying, wow, he or she is a lot like Jesus bow with me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the kind of God that takes humble people, deficient people, broken people, sinful people, and you give us moments where we can have incredible influence on other people's lives, perhaps even for their, towards their eternal destiny with you. And yet, so often, we look at the roles that we play, the influence that we have, as things that we leverage to get something good for myself or to punish others when we're frustrated and don't get what we want. God, would you change us? Whatever influence or authority that you grant us, may we remember that it's from you. May we remember that we are not leaders at the front of the line, but servants from the back. May we not just talk about Jesus and the gospel. May we personally, faithfully, trustworthily live him out in our lives. And so, God, would you help us even this morning to recognize perhaps leadership moments or leadership people that we have influence over. Would you transform us through the grace of the gospel the humility of Jesus to serve people in a way that can actually transform them, lead them more towards Jesus, give glory to you. God, we don't want to lead like the people of the world anymore. Self-indulgent, self-interested, cruel and arrogant. God, humble us today. May we be more like you. May we repent of the ways that we have not been. May we find in the grace of Jesus forgiveness and life-transforming power to be a different kind of leader, a different kind of influencer in our homes and in the world today.